0: We've Grow Group, obviously, you know, medicinal cannabis, as we understand it. From a, from a sort of missions and values point of view,
1: give us some insight. Yeah, it's pretty simple, actually. I mean, medical cannabis has been legalized in the UK since November 2018. In Canada before that, and in Germany a year before that. And our mission is pretty straightforward. We want to drive awareness and access for patients to medicinal cannabis in any which way uh, needed. Because there are millions of people out there who would benefit from medical cannabis, mm. but they don't know what's available. They don't know you can get it on a prescription. They don't know, even if they know that you can get on a prescription, they think it's too expensive and all of that stuff. So that's what we do. And that's what we set up. So we're set up as a normal, traditional pharmaceutical mm. company. Mm because we obviously need to talk to doctors, to, to the NHS, to other healthcare systems, and to patients. So we're, we're organised as a traditional pharmaceutical company, but instead of ibuprofen, we do medical cannabis.
0: And as far as the sort of, the, the, I suppose, the change that's happened since the legalisation of it, has it been positive? Is the, Does the future look positive for that, I suppose, market awareness?
1: Yeah, for, yeah I mean, the future is, uh, let's put it that way. When I joined grow in 2019 in november 19 after 35 years traditional pharmaceutical industry Mm. we had in the whole country 80 patients right and there were five doctors who were prescribing medical cannabis in the whole of the uk our revenue was four grand a month Wow! now and that was that was the whole country. And we were market leader. We had 80% of the market by then. So of the of the, of the 80 patients, 64 came to us. So go on. And uh what we do now is um a million and a half a month revenue. So if you look at at uh patient numbers, they went up from 80 in 2019 to probably 2000 by the end of 2020, 4 5, 000, uh 21, 10 15, 2022, end of 23, 30 30,000 patients in the country. And our revenue went from four grand to a million and a half a month. We're still market leader, but not with 80%, but 35% share. So, and the extrapolation is pretty straightforward. If you compare it to Canada, Germany, Australia, the UK market should land somewhere between a half a million and a million people using medical cannabis. You you can see that is a very interesting market to be in, Mm -hmm. and it's not going to go away. Yeah. What? A, because because people have worked out that it works and it does work. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a solution for patients who have been on long term high dose painkillers, the opioids, fentanyl,s all of those things. We I mean we talk about opioid crisis in the U.S., but there's an opioid crisis in Europe and in the U.K. too. It's not limited to the U.S. Every month, people land up in A and E because of overdoses of opioids and all of these things costs the nhs fortunes and obviously it's not good for those for those patients organ failures you ruin your kidneys if you take it too long all of these things so there are a lot of serious side effects and there is enough evidence to show that if you introduce medical cannabis to those patients mm. they may not necessarily have to uh, enable to completely throw out the opioids but you can half the dose or anything else to a controllable level so that's that's pain uh, but um, indications where you can use it are manifold. Any, I mean, pain is, is multiple. Cancer pain, back pain, uh, uh, people who had limb amputations, whatever, but still feel uh, pain from that, nerve pain. Uh, so there are, there are many endometriosis, women's health, uh, anything. From Migra- migraines as well. Migraines, yes. yeah, exactly. So there are so many mm-hmm. types of pain. And you can use cannabis for all of those, but then also mental health. So people with PTSD, uh, anxiety, sleeping disorders, and obviously those things also kind of reinforce us themselves. So if you, if you're in pain, you generally can't sleep well. If you don't sleep well, you're more conscious and worrying and more anxious about what is happening with you and all of that stuff. So it, Pain generally also a lot of patients who are in chronic pain are also depressed because of that. A lot of patients who have chronic diseases like MS, epilepsy are also depressed because of those things. Mm. So if you take away one of those, even if you even if you let people sleep better, you will have less pain 100%. because your body uh, is in a better condition. So they all they all also work with each other. So a lot of mental health. Probably half of the patients is. Pain related, then a third are mental health related, and then the rest is neurological conditions like uh, epilepsy, Parkinson's, uh, those. And it works in a lot of cases.
2: And I think it is uh, in this sector really important to have a mission because the opportunity for the industry is so big. And just to perhaps amplify a couple of comments that Pierre was making. I mean, 2018 medical cannabis was, um, you know, allowed. And since then, I think from January 23 was the last number I saw there was something like 90,000 prescriptions made. A tiny, tiny fraction of those Mm. were done on the NHS, by the Mm -hmm. way, the vast majority is being through private clinics. And yet, if you look at ONS data, um, something like 2.5 million people Uh, 2023 ONS said they consume recreational cannabis. Mm. And there's an estimate from YouGov about 1.8 million of that 2.5 take it for medicinal reasons. And then if you look at the chronic pain uh, in the UK, just in the UK alone, about 28 million people suffer from chronic pain. So there is a huge opportunity there. And having a mission to actually try to find ways of positioning cannabis uh, and driving awareness that even on a very basic level, that actually you can actually get a prescription for cannabis. Mm. Very few people, I think, even understand that. And even even amongst those people that are long-term chronic pain sufferers. Mm. So I think there's an incredibly important, powerful mission here that Pierre and, and the rest of the industry are looking to, to drive. How did you acquire new customers, so to speak?
1: Yeah, that's, that's actually a very important question because the, the fundamental issue that we have is European law does not allow pharmaceutical companies to communicate about pharmaceutical products to patients. So you can't advertise prescription medicines. You can advertise ibuprofen and, and uh, whatever, stuff like mm. that, but you can't advertise prescription medicines. In the U.S. it's different. You can go on TV, and if, you, if you're in the U.S., there's an there's a advert-, advert for some medication every 10 minutes. Wow. But here you can't. So it's a, it's a weird situation where we have a legalized market, but we can't tell anybody about it because telling somebody about it would be advertising. So I can't go out and talk about the fact that we are um, providing medical cannabis for patients, but we need to be very, very careful. Fortunately, um, and that has helped in, in driving that awareness, there are now around 40 cannabis clinics in the UK. Right. So uh, every medical specialist is allowed to prescribe medical cannabis as yeah. long as they do it within their specialism um and what they've done is they all joined in little groups medical cannabis clinics because clinics can advertise they can't advertise about products but they can't they can advertise about the fact that they are a medical cannabis clinic so we help the clinics to advertise right part of my team is around social marketing and marketing and we help the clinics to put together Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, social media, advertising around that. What I can't do, what I would love to do, is have an advert on the tube. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah. you run out of options with <laughs> your pain medication, yeah, yeah. here's the medical cannabis clinic. I can't use the word cannabis. Yeah. I can't do I would love to have a bus driving. I mean, everybody in Nike can have a bus driving through London with a Nike advert on it. I can't have an advert yeah. that uses the word cannabis. So that's an issue. Uh, and, and, and we've been working with those clinics to, to do that. And you get to social media are strong in yeah. these things. Yeah. And, and um, a lot of people who have or are using medical cannabis, they post all about it on social media. So that's where people pick up on things. Matt, question mm. for
0: you then on this. Naturally, as a, a senior marketeer, CMO, you go into a business like Grow Group, for example, how How challenging is that role to be able to drive market awareness, customer acquisition, retention, those pieces there from your perspective
2: It's quite frustrating, I think, from a marketing perspective that there is all this um, large addressable market out there mm-hmm. that actually it's very difficult to build yep. awareness around um And maybe we can expand a little bit on some of the jobs to be done amongst those patients because I think there's a couple of different important types of messaging that we need to find a way to get to the market.
0: I mean, you talk talk about naturally the challenges and the legislation that's associated with that.
2: I think one of the things we,
0: you know, I'd like to touch on here is the... The biggest challenge, I suppose, really, for because it's, it's, the NHS have done no trials, have they, from what I understand? There's been no real sort of comprehensive trials done by the NHS despite its legalisation.
1: Yeah, but it's not on, it's not on the NHS's yeah. uh, uh, shoulders to do trials. Yeah, which, if you yeah. look at this from a standard pharmaceutical perspective, yeah. pharmaceutical companies will do the trials, then show the trials to the NHS with the evidence around it, then the NHS will bring in uh, nice uh, Institute for Clinical Excellence. They will do a review, looking at the trials, looking at the evidence, if and and basically determine whether spending the money on product X has an advantage over spending the money on, the, on product Y. Randomised controlled trials, which is the standard way of doing those things, compare one product with another, and and most of these trials use a standard comparator just to make sure that you have one thing that you constantly compare it with. So if you would do a pain trial, you would compare uh, whatever product you have with uh, opioid or with ibuprofen and show that there's a benefit in using yours. Cheaper, more effective, less side effects. That's basically what you're looking at. And if you take all three, you're obviously in. With cannabis, it's a little bit more difficult because it's a plant Mm. and there are, like 180 ingredients in a plant. It's not just THC and CBD, but it's like uh, terpenes, lots of other flavonoids. And the problem with doing standard clinical trials is that it needs to be proper one-to-one. So if I have a plant with more ingredients, I need to single out the ones that I think that work and make that compare. That doesn't work with a cannabis plant because if you would only take THC and and synthesise that, or extract it from a plant, and compare it with with ibuprofen. THC on its own works a lot less than if you do as it, do it as the plant. It also actually makes you quite unwell in higher doses.
0: And THC is the, is it the psycho? THC is the psychoactive right, part yeah. of it. Okay. yes. So
1: so you got THC and CBD. Yeah. CBD is the is the stuff that generally calms you down, um, and has little to to no medical effects, but it enhances. How your THC works, so it kind of balances out a little bit, Mm. and and THC is the is the more if you have pain, anything else, that's where THC comes in. If you have sleeping disorders, neurological things, that's where CBD uh, come in. So you need both. But interestingly, you also need some of the other stuff that isn't plant. So if you were to give a a singled out synthesized molecule and compare that, it doesn't work. So you need to do the plant. But then, talking to Matt about it earlier, we may have the same uh, uh, pain problem, but his body will respond differently to the same plant as mine. Mm. So he may need a bit more THC, I need a little bit less THC, we need a bit more different terpene profiles in it. So to do a one-to-one becomes incredibly difficult. You end up having to use tens of thousands of patients who will be on different medications versus one. So... To run that would cost hundreds of millions. Cannabis industry doesn't have that money to run those trials. Yeah. And then you end up licensing a plant, which you can grow. Yeah. yeah. Martin can grow. We can all grow a plant. So, I have a patent. On, I, I, or I can't grow a plant. I, no, no, I, but theoretically, I, 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 no, I mean, gardener. literally, I can't keep any plant alive. I just want to get out of there, right? I, you know, it doesn't matter good. whether it's
0: a cannabis plant or a, a daffodil or whatever it is. Okay. I, I definitely cool. can't grow plants. So
1: you, so you would, uh, you, you would have an issue with patent protection and doing those things. Right. So it, it becomes a. The other side of the equation is, as Matt was saying, there are there are a million and a half people that we know in the UK only using mm. cannabis mm. for medicine purposes. We know that there are hundreds of millions of people in the U.S. and Canada using cannabis for medicinal purposes, and we know it works. So do we really need to go and do another couple hundred million clinical trials? Because the other way of looking at it, somebody will have to pay for running those clinical trials. So if we end up spending a billion running a clinical trial, that will, in the end, translate into the cost of the medicine. So yeah. that's, a bit, that's a bit silly. Yeah. yeah, You're basically looking at a, the NHS is Overcomplicating something, where we know there is evidence, we know people are already doing it, we know it works, we can spend the next ten years running clinical trials to to show that it works, which we already know, and the end product is going to be more expensive than what we have now. So why are we overcomplicating this? But the system deals with we only prescribe products that have a license. Yeah, that's where it comes in. So the the bit that we need to convince doctors of is that they can prescribe, which they know you can prescribe unlicensed products. So doctors can prescribe medicines off-label, that's what it's called. So you you have an approved label, but you can also use it for that. There is a very small step from not having a label at all to prescribing it for that non-label, which is what's happening with cannabis. So it's it's not an unusual thing to prescribe a product that doesn't have a license for it. So that's not a problem. It's it's just a system, where reality probably also is. If if a million and a half patients are taking cannabis for medicinal purposes, if they would land in the NHS, the NHS wouldn't have the capacity to deal with oh, those yeah, patients. It's, yeah, it's it's true. They wouldn't have the money to deal with those patients because those patients are now paying for it themselves. I mean, they're paying their dealer.
0: Would that not compensate then? Jumping in there, that you know, if if the NHS then get that. Revenue that is going to black market, basically.
1: If you would drive medical cannabis as a uh, NHS option, obviously there will be, uh, we've we've calculated what would happen if you do that. You'd probably create 100,000 jobs in the UK. Really? For people who are cultivating, distributing, uh, manufacturing, all of that stuff. You would create probably a 2 billion revenue stream with, tax yes. going into the uh, mm. there, there will be a cost but there is a lot of offset plus and that's probably what we should look at more importantly you would help a lot of patients mm. who are now going to their dealer uh, doing illegal activity by getting drugs that they can get arrested for
3: stop a lot of crime as well I stop guess. a lot of crime you, yeah. you,
1: you're taking stuff that you i mean your dealer can tell you everything what it is, where it came from? Well, you, you don't, don't know. Do you, it's you it's, have, it's you like anything, no isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So so there is no, there is no grade element to No, so you will get controlled pharmaceutical grade product with doctor oversight mm. in a medical setting. So it, it, there, there is a lot of, there would be a lot of benefits for it. The other, the most important thing to look at, what, what is it about the NHS? The NHS, in many for, for many patients what we like in the UK is that the NHS is for free. If you want, if you ever want that to happen, and knowing that the NHS works with that system where they will look at data and evidence to to look at, at the medicines, somebody will need to start looking at generating evidence to do that. So we're doing real-world evidence programs, but your dealer is not gonna collect data. So if you want that to happen, we, would, we should all support the medical cannabis industry and should all talk to doctors in the NHS that they can prescribe medical cannabis and then make sure that we collect the data. So you get that as an evidence-generating model in there. Only that way you will get it in there.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I think we're in a um, bit of a chicken and egg situation. I mean, the NHS did form a cannabis (coughs) registry, I think, in 2020. But the challenge, of course, is the level of prescriptions is so small within the NHS that the level of data and clinical evidence that that's going to collect is no. not really going to move the dial on any of this, unfortunately. How much of that data can you potentially rely on to then support that legalisation? Well, there, there's two issues there. Um, and there's probably a bigger issue that goes over the top, which I think you're alluding to, which is perhaps one of the biggest uh, challenges in all of this, is actually overcoming the prejudice and stigma that's kind mm-hmm. of attached to cannabis. Let's, let's come back to that in a minute. But just on the data side... I mean there's really two or three issues there. One is that there isn't much clinical evidence being collected in a methodical way that we just you know we just heard about. There are around 4000 studies around effects of cannabis. I think when you look at some of the regulatory bodies their view of that is perhaps the data robustness, the sample size is not sufficient perhaps to make more substantive claims around the benefits of cannabis. So you can't really access much data. Secondly, if you could access data and extrapolate benefits, um, it's still very hard to do because, as Pierre was describing earlier, you're still restricted in the fact that it's a pharmaceutical prescribed medicine and you can't go out in Europe and the UK mm. and make definitive health claims around it. So you have to find some kind of more subtle, subtle ways of doing that. I just wanted to go, though, back to just this overarching thought here, which is we've touched on, which is really one of the main competing products to prescribe medicinal cannabis, is, of course the the gray market, and the yeah. fact that you can very easily uh, you know get access to to cannabis recreationally, if you like. And I think there is a, an important sort of positioning piece here from a marketing perspective which is to have the drumbeat of why actually medicinal properly prescribed um, cannabis is is a better option for you if you are suffering from chronic pain for example because of the quality of the product the fact that it complies to GMP good manufacturing protocols and process for example the ability to have correct or carefully calibrated dosage, mm. the options not just to ingest it or smoke it, because, of course, a lot of people don't smoke and don't want to vape or inhale it, but no. there are many other ways. But I think it's, these are all benefits of properly prescribed medicinal cannabis mm. that I think the the industry as a whole can probably... Uh, message a little bit more strongly, particularly perhaps through the clinic network, because I agree that if you if you go on Google and you you search for uh, medical cannabis, and by the way, of course, one of the issues here is that a lot of people wouldn't even search for that in the first no. place because yeah. they don't know it exists. But if you if you are already somewhat educated, you will see quite a few clinics pop up on Google search, but. Even if you go into some of those major clinic groups, I think is it Life, Life, um, Life, Life group, yeah, yeah, and Cureleaf mm-hmm. and some of the others, they're not very consistent some of the messaging. Yeah. So, and I think as an industry, there's probably more that could be done around there in terms of consistency of messaging, particularly the benefits of prescribed medical cannabis versus recreational use.
3: It should be driven by education as well, shouldn't it? I mean, at a political level. Pretty powerful thought process,
0: really, isn't it? Yeah, the education aspect. Mm. I mean, yeah.
3: politics-wise, you, you're not going to get anywhere with that,
1: are you? Well, it. No, is the answer. Um, short answer. <laughs> until, <laughs> until we have a change, <laughs> we, we can spend the rest of the day on that. But there, 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 is, there is no political. There's enough of that going around. The, there, is, uh, there is no political appetite. Yes. To to drive medical cannabis, or as many people want, legalize cannabis. Anyway, the, the, they legalized cannabis in 2018 under pressure of a couple of epilep- parents with children with epilepsy uh, who, who obviously suffered from hundreds of uh, uh, seizures every day. And then with cannabis, reduced that or even eliminated that. So that's, that's the difference between your kid on the ICU and dying. Mm your kid at home and having a reasonably normal development. And then, let's not forget, politics is driven by polling.
3: Yes. So they all
1: they all go out and they go, is medical cannabis going to get us, or is legalizing cannabis going to get us more votes? And no, everybody's. It doesn't get you votes. If it doesn't get you votes, you're not going to campaign about it. So it's not in there. It's not in the. It, it's not in there on the program. So it's not going to happen before 2030. So that's where politics sit. We've We've legalized it. You can do it. And then there is something else that, that plays into that. Um, a lot of cannabis companies, they were founded in 2018 with a lot of investment money. What happened in 2018, and we're we different from that, and I'm gonna explain why. Um, they, they also had their own clinic and the clinic was used as the, the, the channel for selling or prescribing their own products. So you have a nicely vertically integrated system. Everybody expected there would be a queue around the corner in 2019 when it was legalized. There was no queue. Mm-hmm. But people had invested millions in setting up those, those companies. So mm-hmm. in the 2019 and 2020, investors started to get a bit nervous and basically said, when am I going to get my money back? Because they expected IPOs and private equity and everybody else. This is what happened in the US. No, no, this is UK.
3: But uh, this was what happened in the US anyway, because there's obviously states were legalizing it. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah,
1: Definitely. The the market in the US and Canada, if we have time, we come back on that as a whole different story. But yes, a lot of investment money, then the markets didn't pick up. And that's very similar to the US and to Canada. So investors starting to get nervous. CEOs running into boardrooms saying, I want our market share to go up but i mean talked about 80 patients
3: mm. uh,
1: that's a bit of a tallest wharf thing you can have the highest market share but if the market is nothing yeah. Yeah, what's yeah. what's the point but they all did they all did um mm. investor slide decks talking about using that 1.8 million number all talking about the uk medical cannabis market is like 3 billion by 2028 that's not going to happen <laughs> it might be a couple hundred million but it's not going to be 3 billion but you can see what happens if uh, some of the people in government and, and, and the MPs they see those slide decks and they see cannabis industry talking about the U.K. medical market being three billion in 2028. They go, "You don't need our help, do you? You are doing yeah. pretty well." But what then happened is those companies started competing with each other mm. about patient numbers. Mm. Nobody ever and that's to, to Matt's point and we talked about it, Phil mm. but marketing is not in everybody's. Uh, on everybody's list of skills no, it's not and and if you can grow cannabis and if you uh, can invest in cannabis doesn't mean that you understand cannabis marketing or healthcare marketing which is why I joined grow grow group because mm-hmm. the conversation I had with our boss Ben Langley and founder so we, before we before we start shouting about stuff we need to pharmaceuticalize cannabis industry make sure that you understand and bring people in who understand how to talk to healthcare system, who understand to talk to doctors, who understand to talk to patients. Because just shouting that you have cannabis and it is legal, is not really gonna get you anywhere if you have all these restrictions from the marketing. I want to be the Amazon of cannabis. Top portfolio, best products, uh, from cheap to expensive, high quality, all of these things with the best possible service around it. Which has worked, so we are now um preferred supplier or one of two suppliers to every clinic in the country so that's that's the point um marketing and execution a lot of people think they're marketeers, but strategic marketing and and customer segmentation and all of these things is is not necessarily the same as growing a cannabis plant and If you look at many of the boards of of american Canadian cannabis companies, it's people with money people investors lawyers. There are very few doctors in there and there are very few if any marketeers in there and the cannabis companies that have been successful are the one that had marketeers and thought about how do you develop a brand how do you build a brand how do you build a market those are things that you that you can spend a lot of time on and should spend a lot of time on not just thinking oh it's now legal and it's going to work
3: so whereabouts in the in the uk have you seen the largest growth is it north south particular region. Funnily
1: enough, uh, almost everything outside London. Because <laughs> it, it goes it, back to Matt's point. I mean, if you're in London and you want to get cannabis, there is a dealer wow. on every, every corner.
2: We just... Uh, probably people in your own office, right? <laughs> there, there, there
1: probably would be. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I, I was struck actually because we returned to the UK after being away for 15 years uh, last year. One of the biggest changes I noticed was just walking the streets of London. Yeah. And the smell of cannabis everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I can't stand the smell of it. That's this was. That's another.
0: You know,
1: weirdly enough, it gives me a headache. Yeah. So I'm I'm the biggest cannabis <laughs> company in the UK. and I get a headache as soon as I even smell it. But the highest growth is in areas. I need to be a little bit careful if I say it like that. But with the worst coverage on the NHS.
3: Okay, so that yeah, that makes yeah. it. That does so make sense. Northern Ireland,
1: Scotland. Yes. Um, Channel Islands, it's a combination of black market prices are higher than in London, mm-hmm. so the the prescription product becomes more attractive for another reason. It's actually also cheaper. Mm. It's not just quality and doctor and everything else, but it's also cheaper than the black market product. Yeah, accessibility is less because there are there's less black market opportunities. Yeah, and um, go to those areas, there are no pain clinics or the the wait list for the pain clinic is like nine months or something like that. So people are more desperate to go and try other things. Mm. Northern Ireland is probably the the region with the highest density of medical cannabis patients in the UK.
2: One very interesting thing to me is that the restrictions in the NHS for prescribing this are it's incredibly narrow is my understanding. There's only three Very serious areas where you can prescribe on the NHS, and it's things like epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, uh, I think nausea around chemo Chemotherapy-induced nausea vomiting, yeah. Whereas in private clinics, it is more broadly Mm. prescribed, including Mm. for chronic pain, as we've spoken about. And yet access is still a problem even in the private sector. Um, I think there's about 30 clinics in the UK where you can get a medical prescription. Um, I think it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about how, you know, the access could be improved through private clinics. Because I don't think, Pierre, I'm right in saying there doesn't seem to be any strong move to expand the level of NHS therapeutic areas where this might be prescribed anytime soon.
1: Yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, the, that, that goes a little bit back to, to what we were talking about earlier. The NHS will traditionally only deal with licensed medicines and Epidiolex and Sativax mm. are the licensed medicines with that license indication. Mm. So uh, treatment-resistant epilepsy, the pathway is yeah. there are like eight or nine or even more medicines that you can take. Then um, if none of those work, you actually get electric, deep electric brain stimulation to stop the seizures from happening. And only after all of that fails, You can get medical
3: cannabis. What time frame is that over? Well, you can talk 10 years.
1: Theoretically, doctors in the NHS can write prescriptions for medical cannabis, even if it's private. There is actually nothing really that stops doctors on the NHS from doing those things other than stigma or Mm. lack of education or what would my colleagues say if Mm. I do it and all of that stuff. Mm. Even from an insurance company, a lot of doctors – initially thought that from insurance liability Mm. would would expose them Mm -hmm. to have a higher premium. So there is nothing that stops us.
2: I think this is a very interesting point because actually, uh, as well as addressing some of the kind of patient issues and stigma and also the benefits and the practicalities of uh, as a patient or a prospective patient getting access to medicinal cannabis there's actually a very big job to do on the sort of yes. supply side, if you like, through mm-hmm. through doctors and and uh, the clinic network. And I think Pierre's touched on a couple of you know really important points there because there is actually I think a lack of understanding of perhaps some of the latest findings around the benefits of cannabis, particularly in chronic pain management, and particularly versus other pharmaceutical products like opioids, for example. And actually the practicalities of actually becoming a prescriber of yep. medical cannabis. So being on the GMC specialist registrar and what that entails, the fact that actually insurance is not actually as big an issue as perhaps some doctors may think. The fact that there is this, actually, if you're more in the private sector running a clinic and you're not yet doing medicinal prescriptions, there is a very large addressable market. Potentially out out there as well, and providing some of the training and education that could start to expand expand the supply and therefore access to medical cannabis. I think um, there is quite an interesting organisation, the membership of Medical Cannabis Clinicians Society. They they seem to medical be doing some quite good yeah. work in this this area. I think. A, uh, an organization like that, which is trying to bring doctors that are already prescribing, sharing best practice, or giving advice to physicians that are thinking about becoming prescribers, those kind of organizations are really important. And I, I think there's a way of perhaps amplifying um, from Pierre's company and others and supporting some of those organizations to try and educate the clinician mm. Uh, based out there and expend, expand expand mm-hmm. access to uh, prescriptions.
1: Yeah, yeah. MCCS are doing a. Um, that's the name. Yes, mm. They they're doing a good job. You know, you'll, you'll you'll get
0: me walking down and stopping the kids in the park. Now we're going. Did you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have a button. Talk to me about yeah yeah. <laughs> Do you have one? Uh, yeah yeah. I have, we, we I we made every every staff member has one. That's brilliant. Which, when good. I'm on the tube, I put the button on. Really? And I get I get at least one person every journey. That's amazing. Look at me and go. Uh, can we have a conversation?
0: Is there a stereotype to that person, by the no. way? really. No. What's the, bu- what's the button? Is it a? a it's leaf a green or? button and yeah. it has this white text. It's a badge, basically. It's a,
1: it's a it's, <laughs> a it's it's like this big, like what two or three inches. Mm. Talk to me about medical cannabis. Wow, That's what okay. it says. Nothing else. Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's another factor here, by the way, which is that there's another barrier, actually. I mean. <laughs> Unfortunately, to add to the heap of barriers and challenges. But one other barrier is that actually, even if you did know about uh, prescription cannabis and you went to either NHS or private clinic, there's still actually a lot of hoops you have to go through because you have to um, have tried at least two, I think, courses, alternative courses before you go to an unlicensed medicine. So you have to show evidence, you've actually taken a licensed pharmaceutical product, or you've done another type of therapy, whether it's counseling, et cetera,
1: before a doctor will prescribe you. Practice, it's not as difficult. Matt is right. So, so um, what the clinics and the doctors in the clinics have adopted is exactly that. You, you, you should have used or considered two standard Whatever medications before you go to cannabis, but nowhere it's and I'm not trying to make this easier to get it, but it's nowhere defined what those two are. So it could be ibuprofen and paracetamol. It doesn't have to be fentanyl right. and oxycontin yeah. or something yeah. like that. Okay. The problem is that um, people a lot a lot of patients who would uh, uh, be eligible and who would like to take medical cannabis on prescription. They haven't seen a doctor for quite a while.
0: Yeah. Because the
1: fact is they're actually quite disappointed in what the doctor could do Mm. for them. So if you if you've been taking painkillers and none of that helped, you at the end you can't really know what I'm not even going to try anymore because nothing what they've given me has helped. So they haven't seen a doctor for a year, two years, maybe even longer. And now they suddenly need to go and talk to a medical specialist. But they also are a little bit cautious about going to their practice and asking for their medical records. Because in many cases, the practice nurse is going to ask, "What do you, what do you want that for?"
0: Yeah, I have everything. Do, do you have that, to tell yeah.
1: them? Yeah, the reality is, you don't have to tell them. Oh, I just you want don't to. want to
0: upset them, though, do you? Because yeah. they're they're very enough, British <laughs> thing, isn't it? Isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, under so enough pressure wo- as it is. But it's the same, You know, it's funny you say that. You know, you, you don't go see your doctor for the simple fact that you don't believe what they're prescribing now is having any effect, or you don't. Yep. You're not happy with the results. There's another element here where you, you're suffering silence a lot of the time as yep. well. Yeah, I don't go don't. because am I dying? No, you know that's that's the male mentality, I suppose, but, from that point of view, and also I, th- I don't want to heap the
3: pressure on them because they're burdened enough as it is. It's also waiting times. Well, you it's can't quiet. get an appointment, yeah, exactly. can yeah, you? Can't get an appointment.
0: Uh, I want to, I want to, you know, totally sort of switch gears a little bit here and move into, you know, the R and D aspect of it and the fascinating world of how technology is playing a part
1: in this. Yeah, look, I mean, there, there, there's two parts to research and development. One is around looking into symptoms or diseases where medical cannabis works best or better, or what THC CBD ratios or what terpene profiles or whatever do um, work better versus, versus others. So you can, you can look into that, and, and companies do that. The other bit is creating, making different new modes of administration of medical cannabis that will help. So why do I say that? So, so 90, 95% of medical cannabis at the moment, globally, is prescribed as cannabis flower. That's not necessarily the smartest way of taking it, apart from the fact that you need to vaporize it. You're not allowed to smoke it. You need to vaporize it. Not everybody can uh, inhale things. The other thing with inhaling is it almost it, it works almost immediately. But it also drops off quite, quite, quite quickly. So if you have an acute thing, inhaling your medication is very handy. But an hour later or two hours later, it'll stop working.
0: Yeah.
1: If you have chronic pain, that actually doesn't make sense. No. If you have chronic pain, what you would like to take a tablet or have something else that has a longer effect. But most importantly, you would like to take something that, that works longer, uh, has the same effect, uh, Last longer uh, so so what we do i we spend a lot of time on in r and d is capsules tablets we're working on patches or plasters mm. with a with a controlled release so uh, as an example um, we we've seen uh patches for for pain that work a lot better and a lot longer and it also for a Doctors, and doctors are very traditional, prescribing a patch or prescribing a tablet feels a lot closer, ah, a lot yeah, more we'll comfortable than prescribing to. 30 grams of flour. Mm. You're gonna, oh in now. a bag, yeah. Well, that was going to be a question there for you, exactly
0: Mark. Exactly that. Is it, is it easier to, <laughs> in a clear bag as well? Yeah. Uh, White Widow super cheese. <laughs> Not exactly that, yeah. Is it, does the, does the vehicle dictate a power of marketing. I
2: think it does. Um, because we we spoke a little <coughs> bit earlier about, I mean, this comes back to the patient. You know, who yeah. is the patient? Why are they taking it? I like that. How do they like to take it? I mean, the, the patient, you know, always comes first. But coming back to your point, I think the method of dosage and taking it is really important because... No. I can absolutely get that a doctor would be much more comfortable if it sort of doesn't have the connotation of cannabis. And actually it's the same for a segment of the patient population. There are some that are very comfortable and perhaps would prefer bud. There are going to be quite a few that actually don't want to go have that stigma, the smell, the the way of taking it. And actually they want something that feels more like a medicine.
1: So it is really important for me. The other part of it is that it's um, y- you can also patent that mode of administration.
2: That's fascinating. I mean, as a marketer, that yeah, you know, I'm instantly yes. pricking up my ears here because <laughs> uh, change the game. It's differentiated. It's the method of delivery is novel. Yeah. Um, for a lot Fair of marketer. patients, it's a great way of of taking it. And you know, one of the big challenges of medical cannabis is actually differentiation and distinguishing it against street and recreational use. Yeah. And this would be a great, fantastic, powerful way of doing that. Medical adherence uh, is a factor that affects all pharma products to uh-huh. less or a greater degree. And sometimes completion rates have, can be quite small. Oh, yeah. the lasting the course, taking the course correctly, taking the right dosage at the right time, etc. So there might be thinking um, a little bit more about Pierre's um, patch and administration is, you know, companion apps. Is there a role for technology yeah. to have a companion app that goes along with this that could help people take, you know, if they're, especially their chronic yeah. pain sufferers, keep them on track, give them healthy advice, perhaps broaden mm. the topics around chronic pain management? Yeah,
1: that's it's a very relevant question. Um, the answer is we. We just haven't worked it out yet. We're on our way, and I'll, and I'll explain why. So th- There have been a lot of apps. I mean, over the last 10 years, when I was informed, everybody mm. suddenly had an app. That's nice for a week or two. Mm. After that, you work it out. I mean, I need to inject myself every Saturday. That's what I picked. I don't really need an app to do it, because if I don't, I feel it. There is a limited, if you approach it from that perspective, it has a very limited effect, we, we've developed an app what, what is become what becomes much more interesting is if you look at for like the patch, one of the patches that we're developing is yeah. actually controlled through the app yeah uh, so yeah. You, you you control the app and then the app tells the patch hmm. how much active ingredient to release, and the app doesn't know the patch doesn't know that if you don't tell it. what we're also doing is all of the clinics, including the ones that we work with, they're now developing uh, apps as the clinic. So um, if you want to book in your appointment, or if you want to book in your repeat prescription, you do it through the app. Those things work. And one of the things I've been thinking about also in the, in the run-up to, to this conversation, what we could probably do is develop an AI model that would look. Into patient genetics, patient disease, patient medication—whether they whether it works or not works—and then do a predictive self-learning model about who would respond better or worse to medical cannabis. And it does actually help. I bet it does. Yeah. So, so doing stuff like that—that that would be—that would be an interesting. Can you, can,
0: to you, can you can you? And again, that then potentially does that help from a marketing point of view? Because actually, that's, that's one of the biggest barriers here for, for growth and market entry for you. If you've got something like that, do you, do you then, you know, market through that sort of? Well, speak, you can see how it side, happens. Please. Let's
1: say Matt develops that, yeah, and then you acquire. Uh, everybody goes and interviews Matt about why he developed that, so Matt can explain yeah. why the word cannabis is going to come up. Mm-hmm. And obviously, somebody's then going to say, oh, yeah, cannabis is legal for prescription in the UK, isn't it? So it, it'll it drive those things. At the end of this month, we're launching a specific product for um, women's health. A lot of women have, many. there are many women with endometriosis, period pain, menopausal pain, you name it. There's a Canadian company who as a wellness brand, designed a cannabis product, which has a bit more CBD than THC, but they they're, they're both are in there. And they just designed a pretty elegant, uh, a nice vape pen. Not all, and, and we're going to launch that in the UK specifically for that audience.
2: Yeah, I think just to pick this up, this is a very good point, which is there are ways of, I mean, I think a lot of this comes back to content creation. Yeah. Uh, and in this example, it's perfect because there's content, there's also a brand and a very clearly defined audience that goes, goes with it. But finding those, they're sort of newsworthy, interesting angles that are kind of oblique to the more, the, the things we would like to talk about really, which is mm-hmm. the kind of the benefits of cannabis, but actually finding ways to go around the restrictions and mm-hmm. finding those, those opportunities. Whether that's through PR, press, podcasts, videocasts like this, um, content generation, online SEO, there are ways of getting some of the higher level messaging out there, particularly this point around just the basic fact that actually you can get cannabis prescribed to yep. you in the UK.
1: That's, that's the one thing that we should
2: yeah,
0: do. If out. you were going to take away one point today, I suppose, or get across one message, would that be it?
1: Find ways to increase awareness, yeah. yeah. We are now working with a guy called Big Nasty. I'm not sure if you know him. And um, he is a cannabis patient. Okay. He has a prescription. He goes to one of the clinics that we work with. And, but he also knows a lot about it because been, he's been using cannabis for his um, conditions for quite a long time. So he knows a lot about it. So so Big Nasty was like, I know a lot about cannabis. My team know a lot about cannabis. I'm going to use that and work with a cannabis company yeah. to find the best possible products, put them in the market under his brand, and use the huge network that he has on increasing that awareness. So he founded Big Nasty Medical. And works with us wow. to import the product, package it, or whatever. So they just launched their first product. And he did, he did a very brief Instagram post announcing, basically said, medical cannabis is never going to be the same again. Uh, for all those reasons. he brought and, and his team, they are incredibly knowledgeable about yep. all of that. So yeah. we, we worked with them in finding a couple of really good products. And he uses the, and he did a very small post, and like in twenty four hours, three four thousand people yeah. went to that website. Where can I do this? How can mm-hmm. I do that? Because it appeals to all those people who are out there who are using medical cannabis. So it's a small example, but a very effective example. of It's, how, no, it's, a, it's a
2: good do. one. I mean, in the US, um, not so much medical cannabis, perhaps more the recreational mm, dispensary yeah. side. There's been quite a lot of uh, collabs <laughs> with Sean Paul and. Rick
3: Flair. <laughs> Rick Flair placement within Rick Flair drip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Rick Flair. You know Rick Flair, right? Everyone knows Rick Flair. Rick Flair, favorite the wrestler. wrestler. He's yeah. a wrestler. Okay,
0: uh, okay. American like, wrestler. Yeah. I wasn't, I he won was, the Royal Rumble once by being first in aware. the ring or second in the ring, and then. But lost he's a uh, that's my <laughs>
3: child of memory. Highly well-known figure in the US, yeah, and yeah. I mean, he's he's 18. He's got Rick Flair drip, and mm. it's just everywhere. It's yeah. literally everywhere. Mike Tyson's got his own brand as well, has not he? Yeah, I mean the the what they do doing over there is amazing. Is
0: there, is there a danger to that though?
3: Yes. Because then you've got,
0: I mean, Mike Tyson is, you know, we know him as a phenomenal sportsman, boxer, et
2: cetera, but there's a stigma associated with him. Well, I was going to pick up on this point actually, because, um, I think, sort of Pierre's kind of covered this already because, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about overcoming certain cultural, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, associations, you know, with cannabis and so on. But, um, this is sort of where you need this back to the patient. Yeah. Who's taking it? Who could take it? What demographic? What are, what are they interested in? But having that multi strand, it's classic marketing, multi strand yeah. approach where, yeah, some people are going to be very drawn to big nasty, but then you've got, uh, you know, the interior designer no. yeah. example yeah. with a women's sales, completely different mm-hmm. type of demographic. And that's really what you need to do. And I think influencer. Marketing, we spoke earlier about the restrictions on paid digital, which are pretty ironclad, to be honest. There's a little bit more gray area with X slash Twitter. But actually, influencer marketing for this is, I think, one of the levers to pull. I think Again, you have to be very careful with the way you position the product, talk about the product. And you also need to make sure that you also do it in such a way that the influencer themselves wants to appear authentic, but also does not break any rules and does not get them barred from no. platforms as well. But actually that that but that audience segmentation piece, yeah. working out your messaging yeah. and how do you deliver that you, with influencers as one channel, I think is a very no. important part of this. It's,
1: it's a fascinating, I have a list of 25 celebrities. Who have or are taking cannabis uh, on prescription, the one thing that they don't want is they don't want to come out and talk about the fact that they're using medical cannabis because it might damage their career yeah no mm-hmm. yeah. because there are obviously countries where medical cannabis is not allowed. What you see is t- towards the end of their career, they suddenly become more comfortable with with doing that, so ex rugby players mm. instead of active rugby players yeah. and all of these things so that, that that's what we're looking at but yeah it it influencer marketing what i would lo- i mean what i what i hope this is kind of wild to, there are 10 million women in the uk people have people have none the numbers that suffer from endometriosis or menopausal pain or period pain or anything else i just need one or two to come out yeah and a doctor who is mm. interested in the topic sit on the Breakfast TV mm-hmm. and talk about what how big the issue actually is because if you talk about endometriosis do we really appreciate how many you've talked about 28 million people mm-hmm. suffering chronic pain that's a lot that's like more than a third of the population yeah. of the country mm-hmm. and I'm not saying cannabis is always the solution but number of people that would benefit from an alternative to what they are doing now is massive
3: you said twenty thirty earlier as a as a date. You said nothing's really going to happen. Is, do you yes. see? It, is that how long you think it will be, or do you think it will be longer than that until you see significant change?
1: Do I think the NHS will ever prescribe medical cannabis flower? But probably not. But once we get into capsules and tablets and patches and everything else, so you'll lower that threshold. The the other thing that will play into it is. A lot of A lot more doctors by then will be educated about it. Yes, because we do a lot of work around that. Um, with more patients, we can bring prices down, because that's a, that's a very simple. I mean I have to bring the fly the product in from all over the place and do lots of complicated things to get here. once you Once your patient numbers go up, your prices go down, so it becomes more accessible on that side. Education improves. There will be there will be a a, a number. I don't know what that number is, but there will be a number where it suddenly becomes a lot easier to do it on the NHS. The simplest move would be to open the registry up to unlicensed products. That's a, that's a switch like that. There is, there is, nobody needs to do anything. That's not a politics or whatever decision. That's just somebody... Mm-hmm. Who in, makes that decision? Who is so, the, Somebody in NHS. What is his name who runs the uh, 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 director of the NHS? Okay.
0: But that That is just that. Uh, of, it's a that simple, simple decision
1: like that. Just open the register. Do you do cold call him? And-
0: Let's <laughs> 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 do some DD. Every, every day. That's <laughs> business development line 101, isn't it? <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, something like that. It, yeah, there, is, there is the worry that um, we all talk about the NHS and the NHS by it being overrun and stretched and everything else. So there yeah. is, the, they are desperately trying to manage resources.
0: I think Matt said it, didn't he? The chicken and the egg scenario. Yeah. If you get it in, it's more money more staffing potentially, but I think there's a, Sometimes that. a deeper Sometimes people are afraid of being though.
3: the first to say it or being the yes. first to go. People are waiting. Everyone wants to be innovative, but they never want to be the first, you know, yeah, they never really. want to, yep. it, it, it takes balls. There's also, I guess, the generational stigma, isn't yes. there? You know, yeah. as like my son is, I, well, I, I spoke to him now and again, and my mother still do, gave me a backhand basically. Where's my <laughs> brother, who's, um, he's uh, 16, 17 years younger, he's 25 now. He smokes it, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and she has no problem with it. No, but that's because he's been telling her this is the benefits mm-hmm. of it, and it's he, he, it's him that's driving it and educating my uh, mm-hmm. by, my parents. And I think that will start to feed through as that generation moves forward into critical yeah. roles.
2: Yeah. I think we're already, yeah, we're already definitely seeing that. Um mm. Actually, I think CBD, in a way, is sort of helping that. Yeah, it, it's yeah. got cannabis into a conversation yeah. with people that never would have to- spoken yeah. about it before, even though there's a huge amount of confusion, I think yeah. no, around CBD is- versus THC and, and so on. But I think I, I, I would say that is helpful yeah. in starting to open up the conversation, get a bit more awareness going.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a very, imp- a very interesting point. So, you know, when, when, when you meet people and they don't know what you do, you meet at a party and they go, what do you do? And I go, oh, I'm medical cannabis. You go, oh, CBD. Have you got it? And then, and then I spent the next hour explaining that CBD <laughs> is very different
0: from medical cannabis. But that, that, that happened for the first five parties.
1: Now everyone avoids you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I just say that I'm the biggest legal drug dealer. In the it's a different. But, but, um, you no, know, it, it is a, um, um, so you're right. CBD has. Opened up the conversation in many ways, but it also confused mm. the hell out of a lot of people yeah. because uh, when you look at the CBD marketing and advertising around it, uh, they 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 can't make medical claims but they promise things, and there are, there's influencer marketing around it and all that. So a lot of people, not understanding the difference, think that CBD is medical cannabis. So you and you've tried it, you bought it in a supermarket, it didn't work. That's the end of it. The challenge is is that you can't,
2: as a marketeer, reach for your normal toolbox of stuff that, you know, you might have been doing for the last 20 years or whatever. You can't go for the paid digital media platforms, for example. But um I think we touched on some of this already. It requires a slightly different way of thinking. Absolutely rock solid on, you know, the regulatory aspects of what you can and cannot do. But there are still some creative ways that Mm. you can Segment the audience. Think about some of the new product uh, types of peers and the, the ways of administrating it as well that go along with that. Uh, and think about how to get your message out through influencer content, SEO, PR. There are ways of doing this. No. And I think this partner marketing piece, whether that's through the clinic or CBD manufacturers, etc., that's got a, an important role to play in this as well. Is it refreshing, Matt? Coming back to
0: you know, you've relied on certain
2: tools that, let's
0: be honest, have potentially, and, and look, you can slap me across the back of the head for this one, have made it easier for marketeers in some ways. Is it, is it refreshing to actually think about this as, hey, this is a challenge now where I have to go back to the raw core skills, attributes that you associate with a marketeer?
2: yeah I think so I mean I think there's a there's more of an intellectual how do we really do this you know there's there's quite a tight set of parameters around this, but actually that makes it interesting and challenging mm. um the other really big motivator though from a marketing perspective I think is just the fire you get from understanding the addressable market yeah. the, the the size of the opportunity not just from a commercial perspective and the Profit motive, but actually from the perspective and mission to really help people yeah. um, who are suffering from some pretty horrible things, right? Yeah. You know, chronic long term pain, who, that's a terrible thing to suffer from. And this product has got a really important role to play in that. So I think that's very motivating to really think hard about how do you kind of crack this as a, as a
1: marketing challenge. So we, c- we can definitely get. Smarter in doing this. That's, that's an interesting challenge.